Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Nori with you. And rest assured, if they changed the date of Halloween to the last Saturday of the month, we will have Ghost to Ghost on that Saturday. So don't worry about that. Let me tell you a little bit about Mitch Horowitz, a widely known voice of esoteric ideas. Mitch is a writer in residence at the New York Public Library. He's a lecturer in residence at the University of Philosophical Research in Los Angeles. He is a Penn Award-winning author of a number of books. Is written on everything from the War on Witches to the Secret Life of Ronald Reagan for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and others. And, of course, appears quite regularly here on Coast to Coast. Mitch, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. Thank you, George. Give me your thoughts and reactions of the possibility of changing the date of Halloween from October 31st, which kind of has a nice little image all to itself, Yes. To, the, to the last Saturday of the month. And I can understand why parents would like that, because the little kids got to get to school the next day. Yeah, I do understand, because I'm a parent myself. I have two sons, and believe me, I know what it's like to take them out trick-or-treating when it's dark and the you know rain is starting to fall and they want to get in another hour before uh, it's time for homework and so on. But I really oppose this move. I'm very much a traditionalist when it comes to Halloween, It's keyed to an ancient Celtic holiday. It means a great deal to those of us who believe in a search for an invisible world. Uh, 51% of millennials call it their favorite holiday. And I think at this point it's sacred. October 31st is one of those dates that's fixed in the public mind, like July 4th. And I, I think we have to leave it be. You would leave it be, huh? I really would. I really would. I think that, uh, you know, again, as a working parent, I recognize the inconvenience that people experience sometimes. But in a way, it's all part of the fun. It's this oddball holiday that very often falls in the middle of the week. It gets dark early, and it feels like a very special time of year. There's a crackle in the air. Oh, yeah. go to school in their costumes. And I'm a traditionalist on this count, George. I, I would guess if they said the same thing about Christmas, it would be a disaster. Because, you know, to me, Christmas is December 25th. I don't care what day of the week it falls on, it's December 25th. And if they said, no, we're going we're gonna to always have it the last Saturday of the month, it would lose that flavor, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of people, they look at October 31st as a date of some of their happiest memories. And something that we may talk about later in the show, for some of us, it's also the date of our scariest memories. So the street runs both ways, but that date has a real emotional pull in the mind. I always remember going trick-or-treating, and uh, the guy across the street, Miss, I won't, I won't mention his last name, I don't even think he's alive anymore, but yeah. he would give everybody a penny. Oh, now, yes. now, but back in 1960, a penny might have been you know, worth something, I guess, but still... We wanted candy, not a penny. Oh, absolutely. And it hasn't changed. And, you know, the Snickers company has vowed that they'll give away a million free Snickers bars if this date is changed. But the fact is, it's Snickers and some of the candy manufacturers who are actually behind the instigation of this petition. Because, you know, they want to extend Halloween over the weekend to sell more candy, more costumes. So there's a, a, a commercial impetus at the back of this petition as well. Well, you know, that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, Beyond just the children and the school situations, you know, the next morning, uh, there's got to be some money made here if it's carried over into the weekend. 
Oh, for sure. You know, our holidays are all like commercialized beyond belief, and that's never going to change. Uh, I, I mean, it's funny, you know, we'll start seeing Halloween advertisements probably in about two weeks. Um, but to commercialize it even further by extending it out over the course of a weekend, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes against the stated motives of the petitioners. They want to make it more convenient for parents, which I understand, and I really do get that. But there were also candy and costume manufacturers behind the petition who just figure, hey, this is a way to create two days of trick-or-treating rather than one if we move it to a weekend. That's true. Now, tell us a little bit about the roots of Halloween, uh, because it wasn't all fun and uh, happy stuff. No, it really wasn't. Uh, Halloween, in its earliest form, uh, is an ancient Celtic holiday uh, that went under the name of Samhain, Samhain. And it was a celebration that was intended to mark the end of the planting season. It was a time of year to move animals uh, into corrals or into barns to gather in all your crops. And it was also a time of year to contact the ancestors. It was believed that this night, roughly time to our October 31st, was a night during which the veil that separates the physical world from the spiritual world was at its thinnest point, and that you could contact departed ancestors. And this holiday was absolutely sacred for hundreds and hundreds of years in the Celtic culture, and that forms the basis for our own modern holiday of Halloween. Mitch, since we've been talking about this for years with you, about the occult and things like that, have you seen any change in, um, you know, attitudes toward... Uh, the unusual, the scary, or are they the same that they've always been? I am seeing a change. Uh, I'm seeing more and more people are willing to talk about near-death experiences, angelic visits, uh, precognitive dreams or clairvoyant dreams. And I think people are starting to understand that these experiences are a lot more common in our culture than has previously been talked about. And I think, I mean, this is not news to the Coast family. Your listeners talk about these things. They understand these things as part of our day-to-day lives. And I think what we're finding is that that's making a change in the culture. We're seeing people freely talk about these things. We're seeing a presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson, who came out of the New Age culture. Donald Trump himself, you know, came out of that culture to some degree, insofar as when he was a kid, he and his family were very dedicated to the positive thinking teachings of Norman Vincent Peale. So what we call a cult, a new age, it really has gone mainstream. We don't always see it because it's in front of us every day, and it's become a basic part of life. Mitch, I haven't talked to you since we lost Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Did you know her? Uh, I knew her only distantly. I recognized her as a greatly prolific and intrepid journalist. I know she was very widely loved, and she's very deeply missed. Oh, my gosh. I started with her back in 1996. Wow. When I was doing my local Nighthawk show uh, here in St. Louis, uh, I was uh, in a bookstore looking for paranormal guests for the show. And mm-hmm. I was just looking for great stuff, and I came across the Encyclopedia of Dreams yes. by, by Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And I went, gosh, this is cool. Somebody who could interpret dreams. And so she started off as my local guest uh, on the Nighthawk show, and then uh, when I started doing Coast to Coast on a regular basis, I talked to our executive producer, Lisa Lyon, and Tom Danheiser, and said, hey, I want to bring Rosemary along on, on Coast to Coast, and they said, yeah, give it a try. And she was just spectacular, and yeah. uh, God, do I miss her. 
she was one of the greats, and she must have written, I'm guessing, close to 50 books, and these books are going to live on for a very, very oh, long time. absolutely. She wrote uh, Talking to the Dead with Me, where she did most of the work, and, uh, you know, I, I provided her the impetus, the outline, and things like that, but she did all the legwork and gets credit for that, too. She deserves it. But uh, she will she will be missed uh, indeed. We're going to do a tribute show in the not too distant future, uh, Mitch, to her, and uh, you know she deserves oh, it. She deserves. I'm glad it. to hear that she does indeed, and it's important that her books remain out there. And I think those books are going to last for generations. Absolutely. How did you get involved in the occult? It started when I was a kid, George. You know, I was growing up in the borough of Queens in New York City, and I would always take out these books of folklore and. Uh, Pennsylvania Dutch superstition and mythology from the local public library. And I remember one day I was looking in a book of Pennsylvania Dutch folklore, and there was a pentagram in this book, the uh-huh. five-pointed star. Yeah. And it provided uh, uh, this, this kind of table, almost like a Ouija board, where you could bring down a pin and it would tell your fortune. I closed my eyes, I brought down a pin. And my fortune was a letter, a letter, so that a letter was supposed to arrive the next day. And the next day, a letter did arrive for me at our house. I was nine years old. It was an overdue book notice from the local public library. (laughs) (laughs) was absolutely correct, and I suppose it got me hooked ever since. (laughs) What do you think of Ouija boards, Mitch? You know, I used to discourage people from using them because I thought it could be a very, very dangerous doorway to the subconscious or to the other Mm -hmm. side. But the truth is, as I get older, I revisit that view because a lot of good things have come out of Ouija boards as well. You know, the third most popular religion in Vietnam is a religion called Kaodaism. It ranks right behind Catholicism and Buddhism. That was a religion that was channeled through a Ouija board. Wow. The Kaodai religion supported American troops in Vietnam right up until the end of the war. They were America's, some of America's loyalist allies. And the Kaodai movement was repressed for many years by the communist government. Now they're reviving. But that was a religious movement, uh, very pro-American, favored the French and American forces in Vietnam, that came through a Ouija board. So there are things that come through Ouija that can be very meaningful and powerful in our world. I uh, never have really taken the Ouija board's plunge yet. Uh, Years ago, I was going to do a show on Ouija boards uh, with a live demonstration and uh-huh. I had I had several guests, including Rosemary, in there. Yes. Jo- Jordan Maxwell, uh, Dr. Bruce Goldberg, and uh-huh. uh, and we pulled people. And uh, Rosemary was all for it. Jordan Maxwell says he'd get up and leave, and uh, Bruce uh, was <laughs> on the on the fence. I decided to cancel the show, uh, and we went to a, a different subject that night. And I got to tell you, I got a lot of emails from people, Mitch, who were very upset. Because yeah. they were they were ready with pizza parties and all this stuff. They went out and got Ouija boards, and they were oh, gonna boy. do they were gonna do their own thing. And I canceled it for one reason, and the yeah. reason was I did not want to be responsible for anything that happened to people who were doing their Ouija board stuff based on my show. If they want yeah. to do it on their own, that's their business. But if they had little Ouija boards by the radio and listened to the things we were doing, I didn't want to be responsible for that. So I, yeah. so I dropped the show. Yeah, I understand that. There are scary and frightening things that come through the Ouija board. There was a woman who was telling me several years ago that she was writing a review of a new Ouija board for a New Age magazine, 
And she left the Ouija board around the house, not thinking anything of it. She started to get these threatening phone calls at work, and the police tapped the phone to determine the source of the calls. They were coming from her own house. Yeah, it was her son in this morbid voice making the phone calls, and he had been playing around with the Ouija board, and she felt he experienced some kind of possession or something like that. I had a bad experience with the Ouija board on the air on my local show, and we had a Ouija board in the studio. We had been given it as a gift. And I'm in the studio doing my show, not on Ouija boards. It just happened to be in the studio with me. Mm-hmm. Everything is going wrong technically. It, things never went wrong. It was always a clean studio. But the, right. the commercials, we would run the commercials at the time on like 8-track tapes. Uh, they, we, they weren't all computerized as they are today. And yeah. the cart machines would jam up. The, no the audio board, where we controlled the audio of phone callers and me and stuff like that, that started going on the blink. Everything went wrong. I finally told my producer at the time, his name was Howard Morton. I said, Howard, get rid of this thing. Take this board out of the studio now. As yeah. soon as he did, Mitch, everything started working. The, the board started working. The cart machines were fine. Everything was yeah. fine. And then I, after the show, I said, that was the weirdest experience, Howard, I've ever had. What'd you do with the Ouija board? Figure he was going to throw it in the garbage or something. He sure. said, I gave it to Daryl. Well, Daryl was one of our news guys at the time. Yeah. And lo and behold, like a day after Daryl had the Ouija board, he got fired. Wow. And then we ran into him about a week later, and he had broken up with his girlfriend in a bad breakup. Everything was going wrong with them. We told him to get rid of the Ouija board, and his luck changed after that. So, No kidding. I stay away from those things. Well, I'll tell you, George, this may sound like a crazy proposition, given these stories that we've been exchanging, but it's not too late. You could do a Ouija board show on Halloween, October 31st. I have an antique Ouija board. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I don't know, Mitch. I you don't know. Talk to Tom about it. <laughs> I'll do whatever he says. Would that be in? Would you think that would be in conflict with what I did years ago and decided not to do it? No, would, I think would that it would make me a way. hypocrite? No, you'd say, "Hey, we're going to look at the other side of the coin, folks." I made a judgment call a few years ago; not everybody liked it. Now we're going to revisit it. Might be an interesting uh, way to just uh, give a part two to the episode. I have one guest who loves Ouija boards, Karen Dullman, and uh-huh. she swears by these things. I mean, just swears by him. And you know what? Things seem to be working well for her. It's very interesting. You know, uh, there's a a series of channel teachings called the Seth Teachings. Probably these are popular among some of your listeners. Yeah. There was a poet named Jane Roberts who channeled the Seth Teachings. That's right. You know, there are scary episodes that happen and meaningful episodes that happen. It's a lot like being online. You never quite know what you're going to get. You've said that Halloween could be our next big religious holiday. Explain that. I I really do believe that. You know, Halloween is actually recognized as a religious holiday within the U.S. military because there are a lot of folks in different branches of the military who are witches, Wiccans, pagans, druids. And the U.S. Army Chaplain's Handbook actually lists Halloween, October 31st, as a sacred holiday, which it is to folks who practice Wicca or modern-day versions of witchcraft. A lot of them are in the military, and they do their part, and they deserve the recognition of their holidays. 
Now, the military is often a bellwether of religious freedom because it's actually very diverse religiously, the U.S. military. So if it's being recognized in the military, this may start to happen more and more in school districts or other precincts of life uh, in our civilian world. And I think it's really something to watch. There's a big rise in the number of people who claim Wicca or witchcraft or neo-paganism as their religious affiliation. And many of those folk, uh, myself included, regard Halloween as a sacred holiday. You know, it's it's amazing how Hollywood has destroyed the image of witches for people, uh, because yeah. you know Wiccans are good people. I mean, they're yeah. they're they're God loving people. They believe in a, me, a male female gender of God, uh, and they're heartwarming and they're they're caring people. Yet when you look at Hollywood and you hear the word witches, you think of the Wizard of Oz and black magic and all this other stuff. And I think people have confused witches with Satanism, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the people who practice witchcraft uh, are practicing nature-based religions. They're trying to revive the old ways of some of our ancient ancestors. They're librarians, they're school teachers, they're accountants, they're police officers. They're people that we depend on and encounter every day. And uh, their beliefs are constitutionally protected. Uh, They're very ethical and they deserve respect. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.